the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Southern California Live, Hour 2. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. Good to be with you today. We are together each and every day from 3 to 5. Monday through Friday, and you can get our podcast by going to our radio station website or going to Spotify and find Southern California Live, clicking subscribe and just give us a follow. And uh, you can always get your favorite episodes or even your not so favorite episodes. It's all there. And we get to do it every single day from three to five. I'm glad that you're here with me today. And you know, it's been a interesting week. Today, I'm feeling, um, I don't know, introspective. And I've got two kids, 13 and 10. And so when you have these school shootings where they go after kids, and we've talked about that quite a bit this week, you know, it's um, it creates a lot, I think. I know that if you're a parent, uh, you've got a lot of conversation. And my kids' school had an active shooter drill yesterday, right? And was previously planned, you know, and then the school had to come out and say, you know, we previously planned this. We have the police officers coming to the campus. It's already been scheduled. We're not doing this in some kind of reactionary way to what happened on Monday. And I appreciated that because I, I want them to do those drills, but I don't want them to just be reactionary. I want them to do them right and to do them well. So they went through that. We had a lot of conversation with parents at the Little League field last night for a baseball game. Uh, where the sun actually came out. That was nice. And uh, this game has been rained out like three times. Anyway, what I noticed is that there is a lot of anxiety. You know, I think naturally so uh, for that with a lot of parents and a lot of people. And people talking about their kids and how their kids are doing. There was a lot of differences of opinion of how the kids are doing it, where some people saying, oh, the kids are okay, and other people saying the kids are not okay. And, you know, and just in general, how are kids perceiving all of this that's going on in the news if they're sort of old enough to understand it? I think most kids just kind of go on. You know, I don't know that, that hopefully they're they're not too, uh, you know, so worried about it that they can't function. You just have to move on. Uh, and and do what you want to do, but take, you know, do your classes and do the right things. But schools, you know, have to certainly, I think, pay attention. I think that this is always a wake-up call when this kind of thing happens. Um, here's a question. Are the kids okay? That's a question that people ask all the time. And the argument is, you know, either they are okay or they're, they are not okay. Uh, I think the kids are not okay. And I'm wondering, you know, what is you know, what's your biggest concern about your kids? When you think about your kids growing up or your grandkids, if you've got grandkids and you're paying attention, you know, to your, your grandkids, it's harder as a grandparent because you can't always be there and you can't always pay attention and you're not the parent and you might have objections to how your kid is raising your grandkid, but it's, you know, not your job. So it's a, it's a difficult place to be. Although 12% of you actually are raising your grandkids. I think that's the figure today, 12%. 
of grandparents are raising their grandkids um, because parents are in trouble. Um, and is this different than any other generation? I think as people get a little bit older, they always sort of blame the next generation. In fact, you can go back hundreds of years, thousands of years, actually. If you go back to the Greek philosophers, you know, they're worried about the next generation. They think that there's no hope. <laughs> they're looking at the kids going, these kids, you know, what in the world are they doing? Some kind of new farming technique or something or new belief, new philosophy, whatever it is. That's, and uh, they're not going to make it. We're all going to die. That's, that is the opinion of every older generation. And that's gone on forever. And yet here we are. So in one sense, you know, maybe a lot of the concerns that we have, by the way, the number is 888-528-2557. You know, I'd like to hear from you and maybe what you have done to sort of um, belay those concerns. You know, what do you do to be on top of it as a parent or a grandparent? We have concerns about social media, concerns about uh, what pe- kids are being taught in school philosophically, what people are seeing on the news or on movies. You know, it, it is a different world, that's for sure. So we have thousands of years of everybody saying the next generation is going to mess it up. And, you know, you even have a biblical idea where when you're reading your Old Testament and you have a righteous generation, well, very often the next generation is is not good. But the Bible indicates that the reason it's not good is that they didn't listen to the righteous generation or the righteous generation didn't communicate what is true to the next generation. And we have to do that. What I'm arguing and what I think we are seeing and this this shooting and the shootings that we're seeing with younger people, this person was 28, right? But 28, I think, is millennial. Isn't that right, Wilbert? 28, probably millennial uh, age age group. Uh, not quite Gen Z. Like my kids are Generation Z. I don't know. We'll look that up. I think 28 still might be the lower end of millennial. I think millennials are turning 40 this year, actually. Um, something like that. But um, my kids being Generation Z, which I wonder, you know, my my cynical mind is, well, we've had Generation X, Generation Y, now we have Generation Z, and I guess Jesus comes back, <laughs> right? This is it, Generation Z, that's it, that's the end of it. That could be it. You know, if I'm if I'm the Lord and I'm plot, plotting this out, I would probably put some clues down there that I don't tell anybody about and uh, just to say, hey, this is it. Uh, I hope it's not it because actually, I mean, I hope it is. I hope Jesus is coming back and that'll be wonderful. But if he's not, he might not be coming back for a long time. It could be, if he's not coming back for a long time, then it could be that Generation Z is going to be totally different. That Generation Z is going to come out of this and go, you know what, we need truth. And that's where your revival is, Generation Z. You got to have hope in that, that Generation Z is going to have that. But we're living in a time that is different. And some of the questions that are being asked, you know, because of the shooting, there's obviously questions about the guns and, you know, why do young people have access? This person, you know, I think initially everybody thought it was a student, but this person was 28, had seven different weapons and got them all legally, right? So that is the case in this one, where often the case is whatever the gun is being used is, was, you know, gotten illegally in some way. This was, this was legal, but this is a person who, since she was a kid, has been troubled in so many ways. And we've got to ask those questions as a, as a culture. There's multiple different angles of questions, not just about guns and gun laws, but you know, certainly people agree that some people shouldn't have guns, right? That, that there ought to be a way to prevent people with emotional trouble from uh, having uh, this kind of weapon. But that's very hard. It's very hard to do that in a practical sense. 
But the concern is that there's going to be more and more of these things because there's more and more people, particularly younger people in these younger generations, that are having mental illness issues, like severe mental illness issues. There's a book that was that I recommend you read called The Coddling of the American Mind. It's how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. <clears throat> it's written by Jonathan Haidt and uh, another writer, uh, Greg Lukanoff, I think is how you say his name. And they are making the claim, and they're still doing a lot of writing today, and there's been some things that have come out because of the shooter. So one of the questions that gets asked, right, is why are we the only country in the world where you have this kind of shooting more regularly? And, you know, the answer is the prevalence of guns. You know, obviously there's more of an access to it. But the the question is, is it just that or is it something else, right? Is it just, you know, is is the trouble that American youth are having that lead them to do these heinous things? Is that unique to the United States of America and something that we're going through in our culture? Or is the difference really just our attitude towards guns and therefore you have the shootings, but the underlying problem is much greater than just the USA? So they're doing this mission. In their, in their book, they talked about the phenomenon of safetyism that started, they think, around 2010, where it took over college campuses. Remember college campuses, if you were around, people would have... Uh, safety spaces, right? Safe spaces where you weren't allowed to even discuss things that might be uncomfortable or discuss things that went against somebody's opinion. And that has proliferated into such a way that that now what you see are speakers who are deemed, however um, you know, disagreeable, being shouted off of campuses and, and the free exchange of ideas is completely gone. And this book, what it talks about is the untruth of fragility meaning the idea of fragility says that people are emotionally fragile and they need to be protected from things that would make them uncomfortable. That is a new idea. So in all the generations of, of people who are, um, all the generations of people who have always felt like the next generation is going to be messed up, the next generation has always done fine, right? You kind of have some ups and downs, but things have not been as bad as the older generation thinks. What they're worried about is, and this research is discussing that actually the next generation might be in a lot of trouble. And part of it is because we've taken away the idea that life is hard, that life can be uncomfortable, that we are trying to create spaces and environments where there is uh, safety from anything that would make you feel bad, right? We, the book also talks about the, the untruth of emotional reasoning, and that's something else we're seeing here that people's feelings, the idea today that is relatively new is that people's feelings are always indicators of reality. Uh, There was a word called truthiness that a comedian came up with a few years ago. Truthiness was the idea that if it feels like it's true, then you act upon it because it must be true. If it's got a certain truthiness about it, then you're going to go ahead and act on it as if it's true. And that's a huge problem because just because something feels like it's true, it doesn't make it true. And just because you have a strong feeling, I know somebody who every time she disagrees with somebody, she'll say, well, I disagree with you. And you say, well, it's okay. I don't, I don't, I disagree with you. And she'll say, well, I feel that you're wrong. Okay. And then she, no, I strongly feel. That was, that's her thing. It's, I always strongly feel. Well, it doesn't really change anything. If you, oh, you feel about it strongly. Well, then I guess you must be right. But I think that there's a world today that says, if I strongly feel something, then I am right and you're wrong. And that is one of the things that a lot of people feel that is creating problems for people mentally because it's not true. 
Just because you feel strongly doesn't make something true. And then the next one is the us versus them, the idea that if you feel uncomfortable and you feel that your opinion is right and the other person's opinion is wrong about something, then the next thing that's being taught is that that person doesn't have a right to their opinion and they're a bad person and they're in the evil camp because they don't agree with you. So if they don't vote the same as you or they have some kind of nuance to whatever it is, um, then they're bad people. You know, we see this in our politics. We certainly see it right and left, but we see it in the, the right and the left where they, they take on their own, right? I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with the political primaries with the Republicans, you know, who Ronald Reagan used to say, you know, the 11th commandment for Republicans was thou shalt not criticize another Republican. Uh, that's out the window. Um, and the reason for that is because you damage whoever the ultimate candidate is so much by the time they're the candidate they're going to lose. I'd be curious about what happens on the Democratic side, because I think Biden is not going to run, as I like to say. That means there'll be a flurry of candidates pretty soon, if that really is the case. And I think they're going to argue about different things. And if you're not left enough, you're going to be bad. Uh, If you're not whatever right is enough on the Republican side, you're going to be a bad person. This is developing into an emotional problem that kids are having. And... The numbers are extreme for this. The numbers of people who are, um, of young people who just since 2010 have increased in mental illness and in all the signs of it uh, is very, very significant um, and, and troublesome. And the argument is that it has to do with social media, probably more than anything else, that Social media is creating political dysfunction. Social media is creating relational dysfunction. And what that means is that people are unable to have normal relationships with other people like they used to have. And, you know, there's there's some studies that say that's true and some studies that say that that's not true. But the the answer that's coming back, that continuously comes back, is – that since 2010, there have been more and more studies of people having greater depression, young people, kids, greater depression, greater suicides and attempted suicides, greater admission to hospitals, and more. So in the United States, we're seeing this with the it play out maybe with some of the gun violence. But the question was asked, what about countries that where people don't have access to guns? Are we going to find the same thing with this with young people dealing with depression and suicide? And the answer is yes. And the answer is since about 2010 or 2012, it has increased in English-speaking countries, and now they're doing the same one in uh, other countries that speak other languages, same studies, and they're expecting to find similar results, that it's going through the roof. Uh, U.S. teens with major depression since 2012. For girls, 145% increase. Boys, 161% increase. U.S. teens admitted to hospitals for non-fatal self-harm. Since 2012, girls are up 188% and boys 48%. But think about that. Girls 188%. Why is that? Why is it that that is increasing? And some people, you know, would say, well, maybe, you know, we're just taking better statistics. Maybe things aren't really different. But when you get into harm, people admitted to hospitals, that has nothing to do with just better analysis. That has to do with why people, with actions that people actually are taking. 
anxiety of people ages 18 to 25, so just a little bit younger than the shooter in Nashville, um, is up 92%. It's skyrocketing. You have a substantial increase in anxiety and depression and self-harm, psychiatric hospitalizations, suicides, and it's especially bad for girls. Uh, It's increasing for boys, too, but it's especially bad for girls. And I think we should be aware of this because we are so often told the kids are all right. And with the agendas, with the transgenderism in particular, right, that we should just listen to our kid, that if our kid comes home and says, "I'm Daddy, I'm really a boy or I'm really a girl, that we're supposed to just listen to that and immediately get doctoral help and start transitioning. When really, if a kid is saying that, probably they're just going to get over it. Um, But if they're not, you know, if that's a mental health issue, then we shouldn't be celebrating it. And if we're celebrating mental health, what's really mental health issues, if we're celebrating things that are abnormalities, which we are in our culture, then what would be the expected result of that? An increase, see, in depression, an increase in non-fatal self-harm, an increase in fatal self-harm, an increase in anxiety. And what the studies are showing is that that's happening all over the world, everywhere. That this is a generation that is having mental and emotional struggles significantly. And just as a dad, I've been thinking a lot about that, right? The things that my kids have access to that we never had. If you're younger, you know, you if you're a little older, you have to realize, and maybe if you're like, I don't know, 35 and older, 40 and older for sure, the world for a kid is not even close to the same thing as we had. There's not as much playing outside. There is not as much freedom to go do stuff. There is a lot more concern about safety and comfort in such a way that we sort of take away things that our kids do that might be kind of dangerous, but really they ought to do as long as it's safe, like within reason. For example, I used to ride my dirt bike all over town on the busiest streets. And, you know, I did some stuff that was dangerous for sure. Um, but just the act of riding a dirt bike on a busy street was is kind of inherently dangerous for a little kid. And we didn't have helmets back then. You know, if you had a helmet in my age, you know, somebody would throw rocks at you. You needed the helmet because, you know, you were a bad kid. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. What are the things that, uh, as a parent, you, you think about the most? Where have you had success in dealing with these things with your kids or your grandkids? 888-528-2557. Um, you're not a bad kid if you're wearing a helmet, but you would get teased mercilessly in my day. Now, I guess everybody has to wear a helmet. Um, but I used to do a lot of dangerous stuff. I used to be out in the middle of the desert by myself, jumping over ravines and doing all kinds of stuff. And you know what? I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I, you know, didn't lie in that, uh, you know, ravine with a broken arm or a broken leg, which could have easily happened. It probably does happen sometimes, but that's gone that we live in a time now where we're even young people have not had significant experiences that challenge them, that make them think about uh, a proper way to do a hard thing or a proper way to do something that might have some inherent danger, but something that really needs to be done. Right? There's, there's unwise things to do, obviously, and there's stupid things to do, but there's something that's character building about being able to take some risks or do some things that are you know, inherently dangerous, but normal things that people would go do, like ride a bike or other things like that. That's happening around the world, particularly in Western countries. 
Um, and the mental health ratings from about 2012 on are in decline in just about every country, uh, particularly Western countries, these studies are doing, are saying. Um, and that is significant. I think that we need to be as parents and as the church, because I think a lot about this, even from the standpoint of youth group in youth group, you know, if you work with kids in the youth group, you're dealing with all kinds of stuff. You're ahead of it. We put together a manual for parents once about social media, and this was a long time ago. And it was terrifying. We had to try to figure out how do we communicate to parents that your kid is in trouble because of YouTube and Facebook and uh, MySpace, you know, back in the day. And you have no idea. As a parent today, I am uh, constantly finding myself behind on whatever the technology is. My kids, and we, we don't let my, our kids do everything. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from here is I don't think, I think it's just fine as a parent to say no. It's just fine as a parent to limit the exposure to screens, to limit the video game playing, to say no to social media, to say no, dare I say it, that you even have a phone at some point. I got to take a break, and uh, when we come back, I'll get your calls. I see your call up there, Craig. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Southern California Live, Scott Furrow with you. will be back as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Hey, by the way, if you are listening and you're a pastor or you're listening and you know a pastor because you go to church somewhere, you just happen to know a pastor, the uh, KKLA Los Angeles area pastor's breakfast is coming up on May 10th. And I want to invite you to that. I'll be there. It's featuring Dr. Kenneth Ulmer, uh, and who had been, he recently, I believe, retired, but he is, has been the pastor of the Faithful Central Bible Church in Los Angeles for a long time. It's May 10th, 2023 at Shepherd Church in Porter Ranch. You can go to kkla.com, click on the Pastor's Breakfast banner to register. It's for free, right? And, uh, you know, as a pastor, I'll tell you what, getting together with other pastors and church staff for any reason is a great thing to do. We got to lift each other up. We really have to do that. And so your pastor needs to go to this. Wherever church you're at, your pastor needs to go to this. It's free. There's a free breakfast and there's even free parking. Like there's a lot of free, which also attracts a lot of pastors. It just does, uh, especially the free breakfast part. Um, so uh, click on it. We want you to RSVP so we know how many people are coming uh, if you're in the LA area. All right, 888-528-2557 is the number, 888 2557. We're talking about social media and whether or not the kids are okay. I'm curious about uh, your time as a parent and your thoughts about what we were talking about. Let me get to Craig from Canoga Park. Craig, welcome to Southern California Live. Yeah, uh, regarding the uh, uh, gun issue, uh, first off, I know my parents, my dad, uh, from the time he was like 9 to uh, 16, used to have a 22 rifle. He used to go to one uh, school uh, classroom, one classroom school. And he used to take his gun with him to school, trapped, hunted, after school, on the, all around. So, you know, back then, having a gun wasn't necessarily uh, something that was objectionable or that people objected to. Um, but nowadays, uh, you have a situation where you have too many people, too crowded. Uh, there's a famous psychology experiment that you put all these rats in a, this cage, and they keep on putting more rats to it. The more deviant behaviors they tend to exhibit, the more... Uh, um, 
conflict occurs within the rats. Same thing happens if you deprive them of good food. Eventually, they demonstrate all these deviant behaviors also. Yeah, but some so, of it's happening even in small towns, right? There's there's something that's different between now and back then. You know, with, well, I, think with, the basic, I think the basic thing is now is there's so many uh, situations where you can withdraw into your room or your cave and uh, you not be exposed to other people. And uh, doing that, I think it deprives uh, exercise and uh, you know, healthy things. Like you mentioned, as far as growing up when you were a kid, things that you got to go out and experience and uh, do stuff. I think kids get more isolated nowadays. Yeah. And uh, even when they're around other people, they're isolated because they're afraid to express themselves because the group or whatever will come down on. Um, but I think that's a big part of it is the social interaction thing. I think a long time ago they had a lot more devices to help people, help kids interact with other kids, uh, even when they're going to school. When you were forced um, to learn it, right? I mean, you were, you were told to go out and play, get out of the house. And you really didn't have a choice, right? At some point you, you could go play in your backyard, which I did sometimes, but other times I'd hop on my bike and I'd go find a friend somewhere. Right. And there was absolutely now what happens is I would would go down my bike and I'd be gone until dinner time when you had to show up for dinner. And that's when you came back. My dad had a whistle that I could hear all over town. I don't know how he did that, but I knew it was time to come home whenever I heard that whistle, wherever I was. Um, You know, today, though, kids get together sometimes and still stare at their phones. And so they're together, but they're not. Uh, Absolutely. You know, do you have kids, Craig or grandkids? Two kids. You have two grandkids. How old are they? Your kids are grown. Uh, 29 and 34. All right. So your kids, when they were kids, they didn't have phones. Um, and, and they didn't have, uh, you know, the cell phones, the smartphones like we have today. Um, all right. Thank you, Craig. I appreciate uh, your call thank on you. that. The number is 888-528-2557. Here's a question for you. Do you let your kids go on social media? Your kids, let's say 13 and young, younger, 14. At what point do you think it's okay to be on there. Are you even aware as a parent or grandparent what they're looking at on there? You know, I think that is part of the, the significant thing, right? My, my wife was joking about just even in our household, there was one moment where we were all in the living room, but kind of doing our own thing. It was Saturday or something. Um, and, but we were, you know, I think I was on my computer working and Christy was reading something on her phone and the kid, one kid was on a computer doing homework or working or doing something. Another kid was playing a game on an iPad. And we were, I think Christy was actually looking at the TV and she made this joke about our dog who was feeling, we have a puppy who's feeling neglected. And I laughed out loud because she said, you know, our dog is looking at us going, why do these people keep looking at those rectangles? All they do is look at rectangles, you know, and not interact. And we all had a laugh with that. But at the same time, it was like, you're right. You know what, what are we doing? That was not even an option, right? This isn't like something that's just gotten worse over years. This is something that 15 years ago, nobody did. You, you could maybe watch TV for a while, but it wasn't that good. You, can't, you couldn't go binge watch your old favorite show. I was talking with a friend yesterday who was binge watching old episodes of, uh, who's the lawyer? An old, uh, oh, I can't remember, but it's just an old lawyer show, like black and white and uh, they're watching all of those shows, and I'm just we're cracking up about the fact that they can't stop watching that program. You didn't even have that option back in the day. Uh, you went outside. I'm wondering, as as parents, what have you found that has worked for you? Do you monitor it at all? We started monitoring uh, everything that goes on in the house from the internet. 
Uh, now, my kids don't have phones. But they do not have cell phones. And my 13-year-old will tell me that uh, he's the only one in his class without a cell phone. And I think he's right. I think there was a time when your kid might come home and say, I'm the only one who doesn't have one, which, is, which was not true. There's like, you know, only one other person with one. Now it's probably true. He probably is the only person without it. And it's difficult because actually in class, sometimes teachers say, well, why don't you look it up on your phone? Or the teachers will have their certain homework assignments, actually, that he's supposed to scan and turn in. Um, and he can't because he has to go grab mom's phone and scan it and turn it in. Um, you know, and I deal with that as a parent going, am I doing the right thing by saying no to this? Or am I somehow making him, putting him in a situation where he is isolated from his friends in a different way? Um, but the research about what happens in social media and what's happening with people who have these things, uh, at a younger age is almost completely negative. Not everything is, but almost all of it is. So we, we, I did something uh, through one of those companies that just monitors your, your internet, and uh, I get a report on everything that happens through the internet in our house. Um, and I can block any website I want. I can make any website uh, appear, you know, be available if I want. There's settings that help. I really encourage you to do that. And I'm not promoting any one product over another. There's, there's different ones out there. You should check it out. But the one I'm looking at is OpenDNS. Called OpenDNS.com. It was a little tricky to get set up, but there's a free version of it. Free is good, and I think I'm paying for one version that's twenty bucks a year or something for that kind of monitoring. But you know, it really also you can just shut it off if you need to shut off the internet in your house. Which today that shuts off your TV, right? It shuts off everything. You can do that, and you can say, you know what, we're getting out of here as a family. We are going to do something where we interact with each other. We're going to do something. We're going to go for a drive. That's my favorite thing to do. I'll just go for a drive anywhere, anytime. Do you find things like that that you've done that have really helped? I think that in in responding even to this uh, shooting and the things that happen, we will learn, I think, a lot more about what the shooter was going through, like we always do. This one's a little different because she's 28 and... Um, you know, and was going through some kind of therapy, apparently, um, whether or not that had to do with the transgender thing, I don't know, probably did. Um, but she was not okay. And yet she was in the damage that she called uh, caused. Um, I think that we're going to have to get to a place where we are, are going to see that kind of thing one way or another happen more often, because the kids are isolated because the kids are depressed, because there is anxiety, and there's no direction for truth. And I guess I'll just kind of leave you with that here, is that this is, you know, it's a hard subject, but we've got to deal with it. We can't just turn our heads away and say, oh, we're, we're just going to let the, because I think it's going to be more and more and more until people in our country decide that they want to come to the truth, that there is a real truth, a truth about Christ. I really believe this that you have to come back to a place where humbly and genuinely you realize that there is truth and you can't just have your own truth, that the generations have to come back to this, that there are certain things that are true biologically, there are certain things that are true and undeniable um, about how the world works, and that is reality, and that there are spiritual realities too. That's what I would say is that uh, you, you come to Christ and the kids coming to Christ in big numbers changes all of this. Without that, I don't think it happens. 
I think that we are going to continue to pursue very bad philosophies and in the name of freedom, say that you have the freedom to do anything you want that's bad for you or the culture. And we'll even just call it good. So as parents, you know, just one parent to another, uh, pay attention to what's happening with your kids. It's a, it's a, and it's hard to do because it's just different. There's, there's just a different world going on than it was for us when we were kids, a completely different place to be. And I don't think that we should think that our kid is immune. I don't think that we should think that because my kid goes to a Christian school or because we go to church, because we, you know, whatever the reason is that, you know, we think our family's better than some other family. <clears throat> you wouldn't put it that way, right? But, but however you compare, you can't take that for granted. You can't. There are things that your kid might be going through that are private, that they don't want to tell you about, that they're embarrassed about. They might be deliberately into something that uh, they don't want you to know about. Um, you know, the whole thing about kids changing their gender at school and having sort of a double life, uh, that's incredible that that's even possible. That's incredible that parents could be so unaware of what's happening for most of the day with their kid. But that is happening. And I don't think, I think we make a mistake when we assume that that's not our kid. We should verify, we should trust our kid to the safe place of trusting kid, but it's okay to trust and verify. It's okay, and I think if you have the right relationship, I think you can figure that out. All right, I gotta take a break. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. This is Southern California Live. I'll be back as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you, 888-528-2557. Remember about a year ago that um, pro-life pregnancy counseling centers were being attacked and bombed, some of them pretty severely, and it started to happen right after, not, you know, it was before the actual Supreme Court decision that reversed Roe versus Wade. In fact, it happened immediately after the, the leaked copy of it. Remember that it leaked first. Somebody leaked out the copy. We still don't know who that is. I think they even gave up the investigation, if I recall correctly. They never discovered who leaked it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, right after that, Pro-life pregnancy counseling centers were attacked all over the country. Some were firebombed. One in Wisconsin was firebombed, and many of them were spray-painted. One of them says, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. Lots of threatening language and things like that. There were websites that uh, were put up. This is what uh, creates a problem for me a little bit with why it took so long to find somebody. Because if you're putting up a website and saying and asking people to attack these centers and putting up a whole bunch of threatening information. There's, you know, you don't just do that anonymously. You have to give somebody your name somewhere to uh, put that up there. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I feel like through some kind of computer forensics, they should have been a lot quicker at figuring out who might be involved with this and that. Anyway, they arrested a guy uh, for doing it who is a PhD uh, scientist graduated from uh, University of Wisconsin. And uh, when he's not uh, doing uh, that work, he is part of uh, an Antifa group or Antifa-like group. And they caught him because apparently as he was firebombing the center, he was also eating a burrito and he left half of it there and they got him on DNA. That's the way they they found him. 
Uh, so he was arrested because of DNA on his burrito. Uh, I'm glad that they're really doing that. It was that they're really investigating to to that end. You know, it's something that has been, I think, disturbing that you had so many attacks. We're talking about firebombing buildings. We're not talking about just simple vandalism or things that, you know, somebody threw a brick through a window or something, which you shouldn't do, right? But there's a big difference between that and actually lighting the place on fire, right? There is a big difference between that and spray painting uh, threats, you know, to people's lives out there. Anyway, he was arrested and charged. His, his uh, name's super long. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Um, but uh, good for uh, good for the FBI. They went out and uh, got this guy. Um, and I guess that goes to show you, if you get a burrito, you should eat the whole thing. You know, just, just go ahead and enjoy the entire thing. I'm really glad uh, that this happened. It happened on Mother's Day last year. Um, and it's a very, very sad thing. It's another thing where you have people who are um, just trying to do what they believe is right, which I believe that they're right in these these clinics. Certainly, these are pro-life clinics, so they don't recommend abortions. And the thing is, is that a lot of women who go into these clinics, even if they are hoping to get an abortion or if that's their intent, you know, one of the ways that causes people to choose not to get an abortion is when they see an ultrasound of the baby or when they're given hope because that somebody will help pay their bills or somebody will help them with diapers or help them with child raising. There's a whole lot of fears that are legitimate concerns that often moms will have, particularly single moms or young moms. Uh, and it's frightening to be in that position. And, you know, the the abortion option is one that's just very, very tempting because there's the thought that I can just go back to life uh, as it was. You never really do. Right. It's not exactly the same. Some people handle it different than others, but most people uh, have some kind of struggles with that. But these clinics are all over the place and we need to support them. Hopefully your church is involved with one somewhere, either with uh, financial support or even just prayer support, doing something because lives are saved. And, you know, in, in there's so many different nuances to this issue. But, you know, one of the things that happens is, you know, if you're somebody who really believes in choice, then you, if you're going to be honest about it, then you need to give women a real choice. And a real choice means that you're informed of not just the options you have, but also informed of what's going to happen. You know, whenever you go and you have a um, surgery of some kind or a medical procedure, the doctors are required to tell you everything about it. Here's what we're going to do. This is how long it's going to take. You know, I've had doctors like draw me a picture. I've had them show me you know, a chart on the wall, they're required to tell you everything about it. When it comes to abortion, uh, they're not. And they're not required to tell you about the child, the development of the child, there's a whole lot of things that are there. And if you don't do that, you know, then you're not really giving the woman an actual choice. You know, we don't have real choices in our life if we don't have all the information. We can't make an accurate choice with anything if we don't really know um, everything that's there. We, we might make a choice we wouldn't otherwise make had I had other information. That's a, that's a big deal in the whole abortion conversation. Uh, that's why people uh, on the pro-choice side will often not say uh, abortion. It becomes women's health care, right? It becomes reproductive rights. It becomes something uh, that is a euphemism for it. Uh, that is, you know, I always figure if you can't just say what it is, if you have to come up with a euphemism, you're, you're probably on the wrong side of it. I don't know if that – I should really test that out. Can you think of something that we have a euphemism for that 
you know, for some reason obscures the the actual facts about a procedure or an activity of some kind. Um, and for some reason, we use a euphemism. Do we have a reason why that's good? Like you might have euphemisms around your kids because you don't want to talk about certain subjects around the kids. I get it. But when it comes to something controversial, I'll bet that the people using euphemisms are the ones who aren't speaking the truth. I'll bet that's true in just about every case. I'm going to think about that. Maybe you've got some thoughts about that. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I think that, you know, that it really says a lot, right? If you can't just have a conversation, I don't even like the terms pro-life and pro-choice, actually. I would rather people say pro-abortion or anti-abortion. Let's just talk about abortion. Let's talk about what the procedure is and what it's doing and what happens here. And you're either for that or you're against that. But, you know, pro-life, you know, I get it, but, you know, that can mean a whole lot of stuff. Uh, pro-choice, you know, choose them what? There's, it can mean all, it becomes about choice or it becomes about life. And, you know, I, I understand those arguments there, but in a way it it shields us from even talking about the taking of the life of the, the baby and whether or not that baby should have rights, right? It it. And often when we're talking about pro-life, sometimes the conversation can get into other subjects like the death penalty or, you know, and can you be for that and be against abortion? You know, those kinds of conversations, they're interesting philosophical conversations. They're good ones to have, but it takes the, it takes the focus off of the one thing you're talking about. Or if you're talking about pro-choice and then especially when it turns into women's reproductive health and suddenly you're talking about mammograms or something, you know, it's, it's not the same thing. You, you, if we really want to be honest about discussions about issues, um, the border would be another example. You know, we, we're, even though the law uses the term aliens, illegal aliens, uh, you're not allowed to say that anymore. And for a while, what it became undocumented um, migrants or something. And okay, well, that's still undocumented. It's, you know, it, it separates the difference between somebody who is here legally and somebody who here is here is here illegally. Well, now everybody's just a migrant, and you know, I understand that a lot of people are are migrating for one reason or another, but that's not what the issue is. The issue is, should there be a legal path to that? The issues are, should there be a a way that people do that uh, legally versus illegally, and should we say no to the ones who do it illegally, right? But as soon as we we and we should have we should have conversation about compassion and we should definitely be having conversation about the poverty that is south of our border and the the reasons that cause somebody to leave everything they have or raise a bunch of money to give to one of those coyotes that brings you up here um to take that risk to go on this dangerous journey we should have that conversation and we should have compassion for for people but i think when we decide we're going to call it something else or if we're, you know, and we won't really talk about what really is going on, then we're never going to solve it. It's just going to keep getting worse. We're not going to be in a position where we really can have a conversation. Something to think about, I think, uh, you know, in our lives is can we just in a kind way just stick to what things really are? Hey, we got Easter coming up and uh, we'll talk about uh, Palm Sunday. We've got we have a course this weekend on Friday. We're going to begin something on our show, and you can get a head start on it if you'd like to at kkla.com. It's called Six Steps to Easter. And what we're going to do is starting on Friday on our show, we've got six different steps to Easter, and each day we'll have a new pastor, a different pastor, 
share some stories about each of these steps. And the idea is that we want to approach this Easter season um, not just in a way where we're just going through the motions religiously, right, where we're just going through Passion Week or Holy Week or Easter vacation or whatever it is you call it. Um, We're doing something intentional. I think that's something really, really important. So there's an acronym, Easter, E-A-S-T-E-R, and those are the six steps, okay? That's where we get six. So the first one is examine. It's examine, admit, sanctify, transform, exalt, and reflect. And each day we're going to have a pastor that I interviewed be on a program share with us how uh, to do that and how that relates to inviting your friends to church or investing in the people that God has placed in your life. I want to encourage you to participate in that. You can get a head start by going to kkla.com now and clicking on the six steps. And we've actually already recorded it so you can watch it on video. So uh, I took off the Batman mask because it's on video. So it's just me sitting there. Um, interviewing the pastors. And you'll, you'll see, you know, the, the people behind the voices. That's kind of interesting to to watch radio. But I really want you to take a look at that and to approach Easter in a way that is not just going through the routines of it, but instead saying, you know what, Lord, examine my heart, examine who I am, and confess your sins, and talk about growing in your faith, and really work through these things. Easter is an opportunity, a reminder of why it is that we're Christians, why it is that we're here, and we should take that, I think, very, very seriously. So this is a tool that'll help you, and of course, we'll be talking about different things in our show uh, coming up beginning on Friday. So check it out, kkla.com, click the Passion Week 2023 Six Steps, and you can check that out right now. Also, the Pastor's Breakfast is on there coming up in May, so check that out as well for you if you're a pastor or you're a pastor. All right, we're done for the day. Thanks for listening to Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. I'll be back tomorrow from 3 to 5. God bless you. Have a great day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.